0: giving him a hand clap of praise. Let's praise him today and rejoice in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look at your neighbor today and tell him, I am so happy to see you today. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated for a moment. Welcome. Welcome. Everybody, we're so glad you're here. To all of our guests here today, welcome. We're so glad to have you here with us today as well. Those of you following us on Facebook Live, live stream, we're thankful to have you a part of our service today as well. I want to remind you of a few things that are coming up. Remember, if you have a Mission Louisiana Pledge, this is a pledge for the campground. A category has been set up on Easy Tithe on our website. you can go there and make your pledges and uh, give your gift as you choose to. Uh, Everybody remember this coming Tuesday morning uh, here at the church. There'll be prayer at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. And then uh, remember next Sunday. Everybody say next Sunday. We're going to have our Connect Groups Fair. It will be in the Alexander Center next door. And um, it'll be following the service, the altar service next Sunday morning if you'd like to uh, be a connect group leader feel free to contact brother Dave and let him know about that if you would but otherwise uh, when church is over next Sunday you can feel free to go next door walk through uh, and join up with a connect group I would like to remind our adult Sunday school class our class will be in here uh, next Sunday uh, because of the activity going on in the A Center after church next Sunday. Uh, remember March 19th through or February 19th through March the 10th is our 21 days of sacrifice. Uh, remember that. Uh, that will start a week from tomorrow. And then very special weekend coming up, February 23rd through the 25th. Dr. Rhea Cooper will be here with us. Would like to remind all of our leadership team. We're planning to serve dinner on Friday night. Uh, in the Alexander Center. Um, that would be on Friday night, February the 23rd. We'll have a dinner uh, together. All of our leadership team, uh, feel free to be a part of that. We also have a sign-up sheet in the lobby. If uh, you would sign that, if you're planning to attend, if you would sign that on your way out this morning, it would be deeply appreciated. Uh, Dr. Cooper will be speaking uh, in that uh, at that dinner Remember that. And then on Saturday, uh, February the 24th, we're going to have two sessions. Uh, I believe she's going to do one session on depression and one session on anxiety. Uh, One will be at 10 o'clock, the other will be at 11. So remember that. You can come to both. You can come to one, whichever you feel is applicable to you. And and certainly spread the news around everybody that you know. Um, If you have friends, uh, invite them out on Saturday. It will be a very, very beneficial time. Thank the Lord. So stay tuned with what's happening at Grace Church via our Grace app, or you can go to our website and click events, and it will tell you what's coming up on our church calendar. You ready to have church here this morning? I am. I'm ready to have a good time in the Holy Ghost. Let's worship
1: as a Grace King comes. Hello.
0: wonderful to be here, and what makes it so wonderful is to know that he's here with us. I thank God for his presence today, and I'm thankful for all of you that are here. As you return to your seats, remain standing. We want to go to the Word of God today, and I have a presentation I want to make today that's very close to my heart. I want to take all of us down a path today, if you will, and um, I want to see the Lord manifest Himself in us today, through us today, that the Spirit of the Lord will have His way, and everybody say amen. Amen. I want to read today from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having forgiven you all trespasses verse 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross I'd like to read the new living translation of that same scripture portion That translation says you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I thank God for that today. I mentioned in my Sunday school class a few moments ago, someone shared with me a story this morning about someone they know that has recently recovered, has made an escape, if you will, from a lifestyle that has come from a very dark, dark place Of sinful nature, since a child and now into their 50s. This person has come to God for the first time, baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He took, Jesus took all of that person's sin, as grievous as they were. And when he was nailed to the cross, he nailed those sins to the cross. And the Bible said he forgave them all of them i want to preach to you for a little while today about the long list of sins and three rusty nails the long list of sins and three rusty nails everybody say thank god for the word thank you for standing today and you may be seated the bible says very clearly in the new testament and i would say Virtually all of the crowd here today has heard this verse of scripture in one way or another. But that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The psalmist said we were born in sin. In sin, the psalmist said, did my mother conceive me? I'm sure that everyone here today has had some level of, of experience with sin. Sin is a trespass against God, against God's nature, against His law, if you will. We're born in it. We're born in a a culture that is sinful, a society that is sinful. As a matter of fact, there's no place on this planet that you can go where it's any different than being born in sin. We were all born in sin, shapen in iniquity, the writer said. I'm also sure today that most everyone here has had some experience with nails. I dare say that probably every person in this room has had some encounter with a nail. I've been on the right end of a nail, but I've also been on the wrong end. of a nail. I remember as a young boy one time stepping on a nail and literally I still remember the sensation of it penetrating the thin rubber sole of my tennis shoe and then piercing the bottom of my foot. Nobody had to tell me what I had just done. I didn't look around and say, what was that? I knew from the excruciating pain that went from the ball of my foot to my brain in, in less than a nanosecond, if you will, that I had stepped on a nail. I've been on the wrong side, the wrong end of a nail. It's one. It was one uh, that time during one of those adventures that young boys find themselves involved, and they're they're building their fort. And they have—they're paying more attention to the fort than they what's on the, than what's on the ground. And there was a nail sticking up, and it pierced my shoe. And then I suddenly forgot about the fort. I didn't care anymore about the fort. I didn't have any bother or guilty feelings about leaving my little neighborhood buddies that were also building the fort. With me, I bailed out on them and ran home as quickly as I could, pretty much on the other foot. I remember that traumatic event, and then the tetanus shot came later and all of that. When we think of nails, the majority of the time we think of construction, something that is being built to last. Nails hold things together. Nails stabilize a structure. Stephen Ambrose wrote a book some 20 plus years ago entitled Nothing Like It in the World and it was a story of the transcontinental railroad that was built from 1863 to 1869. And in that book, he describes what happened during the building of the rails that led west. There were a series of wagons that were pulled by horses, and um, one of the uh, wagons—excuse me— one of the wagons uh, would carry some forty rails. Another would be filled with the proper number of spikes and railroad ties. And from that wagon, four men would grasp the rail and anchor it into place. At the command of down, they would drop the rail into its place. Every 30 seconds, there came that brave down, down, down from either side of the track. The chief spiker was ready. The gauger stooped and measured. The sledgehammers rang out two rails every 30 seconds, one on each side, four rails a minute. As the rails went down, they were gauged by a measuring rod exactly 48 and a half inches wide. When the wagon was emptied, in about 10 minutes time, covering a little over 80 feet further down the line, Another horse-drawn wagon was immediately settled into place to follow the same suit. There were 30 men driving in the spikes. On the outside of the track, on the inside of the track, with three strokes of the sledgehammer per spike. Ten spikes to the rail. 400 rails to the mile. And it was 1,800 miles across nebraska into San Francisco on the Union Pacific Rail, 21 million times those sledgehammers had to be swung. The pace of the rails going down was as fast as a man could work at a normal pace. In the end, when the finishing touches had been placed on the track, an average of nine to 10,000 spikes had been placed in the rails per mile. But the spikes that helped wield that foundation of the railroad tracks pale in comparison to only three spikes that were used some 2,000 years ago for another project. If you would, I'd like to read my text again. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Paul left us with those words. It is those words that impart to us the hope and power of Calvary. The bond, singular, similar to a a bond one would get to be released from jail. So the bond that was written against us had to be paid. If we were going to be freed from sin, if we were going to be delivered from sin, a bond had to be paid. It was was something that a man owed. And if, if not paid to the one that it was owed to, then that man would be thrown into debtor's prison And could actually spend the entirety of his life there. So to understand this concept is to understand the amazing mercy and grace of God. So to explain the meaning of the text that I've read now will be a third time. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. The substance of ancient documents was written on either papyrus made of a, from a bulrush or it was written on vellum which was made from the skin of animals. Both were fairly expensive and certainly not to be wasted. Listen very carefully. Ancient ink had no acid in it. It merely lay on the surface of the papyrus or the vellum, and it did not bite into the material as it does with modern inks of today. So sometimes a scribe, to save paper, used papyrus or vellum that had already been written on. When he did that, he would take a sponge and wipe the writing out. He would erase it. He would wash it off. He would wipe it out. It was It was gone. The writing didn't exist there anymore because it was only on the surface of the paper. The ink could be wiped off as it had never been there. God, in His amazing mercy, no matter how challenging we think sin is to remove from our life, no matter how dark and bleak we may think it is, no matter how impossible we think that it may be to get rid of it, with the blood Jesus shed on his cross, he could just simply wipe the slate clean. He just cleans it as though it had never been written on before. So when the writer says, he blots out all these ordinances against us, all of these laws that we've broken, all of these horrible things that we've done. When we've done that, when, he, when Jesus blots them out, we preach often that you and I oftentimes have the ability to forgive sin against each other. But God has the ability to forgive sin. But He also has the ability to forget sin. I want everybody here to understand what I'm about to say. When you sin against God and you ask Him to forgive you, He just don't say, okay, you're forgiven. But He takes that list of sins that you just ask forgiveness for and He washes the slate. He cleans off the slate so that there is no more any record of any law that's ever been broken by you against him i say today what a wonderful savior he don't save us to remember our sin and hold it against us at some point in the future but when you come to god and you ask him for forgiveness of sin you must understand he don't just forgive it he remembers those sins no more it's why jesus said he who the son sets free is free indeed Hallelujah to God. Let me give you a brief history of the act of crucifixion. Let me give you a brief history. In the ancient world, you'll see why Jesus chose this horrible, Way of execution. This is why he chose that. The Bible prophesied that he would come and he would be crucified. That was, it was his choice. God literally manipulated, if you will, the law, the cultures, the climates of that era of time, would be the beginning of our New Testament in the Bible. He worked the system himself and saw to it that when he died for our sins, that it would be via the crucifixion. In the ancient world, crucifixion was considered the most severe form of capital punishment. In in order of severity, decapitation was the least painful and was reserved for citizens of rank. So if you had to be executed, You had to be put to death. If you were a citizen of rank, they would make your death as easy, as quick, and painless as possible. And that method was to cut your head off as quickly as possible. Sounds pretty barbaric, doesn't it? Somewhere in the middle came being burned alive. Nero did this. Uh... Not long after the book of Acts concluded, he would catch Christians. And uh, apparently, he had a very large backyard, a very palatial backyard. History says that he would capture Christians, tie them, nail them, or tie them rather to a post, and set them on fire to literally light up his backyard. But that was not quite as bad as crucifixion. And being burned alive was, if you were an okay citizen, you might have a little bit of a record. But if you were okay, they would they'd do it that way, and it's a little bit you'd you'd burn up pretty quickly. But last comes crucifixion. Crucifixion was reserved for slaves. It was reserved for criminals. It was reserved for prisoners of war. The rulers of the provinces favored crucifixion because of the public statement it made. A Roman orator, Quintilian, wrote, Whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen, where the most people can see and be moved by this fear, he said. The Romans did not invent death by crucifixions. The Persians used it, the Medes used it, the Carthaginians used it, the Assyrians used it. The Indians, the India Indians, if you will, from that part of the world, all practiced it in various forms. To trace it back, one finds that the bodies of the defeated in war were displayed in this manner. As a warning to others who might be tempted to rebel, they, they impaled or conquered on poles or stakes, history says. One of the early Greek words indicates that the early crosses were actually stakes and the victim was impaled by that stake and then stood upright so crucifixion by death by was death by exhaustion every minute consumed with painful necessity of struggling to suck in air a lot of people don't realize it when jesus was crucified history says they bit his knees somewhat So that when he was nailed to the cross to breathe, he'd have to push up to inhale. And then let himself down to exhale. And then push up to breathe in. And to let himself down to breathe out. They did that on purpose. If you'll consider the shape his back was in, rubbing it up and down that cross, I can't imagine what the pain of that alone would have been. In addition to the crown of thorns on his head, rubbing his head up against uh, up and down the back of the cross, the back of his head against that cross had to be excruciating. But you would literally suffocate over a period of time those nails, the nail in his feet, his feet was put one on top of the other, and one large stake was a spike was driven all the way through both feet simultaneously into the wood. And so he would have to push himself with his feet against that spike to breathe. And uh, it was literally death by exhaustion. Sometimes uh, people who were crucified, history says, were, were lucky, if you will, if you believe in such a thing. They were lucky because sometimes they would get an infection very, very quickly. Bugs would bite them and go after their blood and what have you, and they'd get an infection and then die a little bit quicker. Um, some, uh, their legs would be broken. So they wouldn't be alive on the Sabbath day. And so they couldn't push themselves up anymore with broken legs. And um, they couldn't breathe. And so they would suffocate. David's cry from the psalm in Psalm 61 verse 1. He said, Save me, O God, for the waters are coming to my soul. Meaning fluid was crowding his heart and lungs. Prophecy concerning Christ. He said, I sink in deep mire. Where there is no standing, I can't push myself up anymore. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. The psalmist described one's lungs filling up with fluids and drowning. Something that can happen to those who were crucified. The legacy of death by crucifixion is still with us today in the word excruciating. We all say that sometimes. We go through an event or we have... Some level of pain in our body that was, that is excruciating, we say, which literally means out of the cross. It's a result from hanging on a cross. It is excruciating pain. To extend the life and also the torment, the executioners took care not to damage the criminal's vital organs. If they performed everything properly, A criminal could hang as long as nine days on the cross before death would finally come and take them away. The mock trials are now over. What little that Pilate was willing to allow Jesus to be set free has been done. For the sake of the record, the political correctness, if you will, he symbolically washes his hands of the whole affair. This was a Jewish practice and Pilate, being a Gentile, didn't even believe in it. He was doing it in some bizarre way to appease his conscience of the dream his wife had and not to fool with this man, but he did it anyway. It appears that he was grasping at a simple procedure to relieve him Of his responsibility for having Jesus crucified. And then four soldiers then take Jesus with the intent of carrying out the execution. And it was going to be a long walk for the condemned man named Jesus. Previously in the Garden of Gethsemane there had been close to 600 who had gathered to capture the Lord. And Pilate now sees little chance of a riot. The only supporters of Jesus now seem to be only a few sobbing women. Two soldiers take him and lift the some 40-pound cross beam onto his shoulders. He's going to be forced to carry his own cross to the place of death. Around his neck hangs a piece of wood coated with white chalk. And on this board, painted in black letters, is the crime which the Lord is charged with. Dressed and cast off purple, crowned with thorns, and carrying the label around his neck that says, The King of the Jews. He is hustled through the screaming, deafening crowd. Step by excruciating step. Having taken 40 lashes on his back, a crown of thorns on his head, he stumbles out of the praetorium and down the twisted streets of Jerusalem. And how far does he stagger before he falls face down and lies bruised and motionless under this beam? We don't know. Some onlookers turn their eyes from his agony. Some watch him with disinterest as they pebble their wares and uh, others are waiting for the mob uh, for the mob to thin out so they can move on through Jerusalem. Some are cursing at him and some are laughing. One way or another, the crowd becomes a key element in the whole process, either cheering, cursing. They participate as he struggles to rise and take another step to stumble on past them but it's not long before he falls again I'd like to ask you today to consider most all of us are familiar with this event what caused him to stumble I believe it was possibly dehydration the massive beating that he has just taken on his back most men don't even survive that beating they can't go the whole way they die in that process, he's got the crown of thorns. What made him stumble? Was it the weight, that 40 pounds he was carrying on his back? There's a, there's a part of me. I can't prove this with Scripture, but there's a part of me that says he stumbled because there was he knew that a woman would come and want to try to help him. And when she did, offered him a drink of water, he put all of everything that was going on with him aside. And told this woman, don't weep for me, but weep for your children. He was speaking of an event that was coming some 30 plus years later. When the Roman Titus would come to Jerusalem and overthrow it, burn it to the ground. Take their children and throw them up in the air and catch them on spears and swords. And make literally a human shish kebab out of them, if you will. That's what he was talking about. I'll be okay, he's saying. You need, to be, you need to be prepared for what's coming for you and your children. Perhaps that's what made him stumble. It could have been the weight of the crossbeam. It could have been the loss of blood. It could have been the insurmountable burden of the whole world's sin on his shoulders at one time. It could have been the weight of all of our sin. sitting here today. We, we contributed to that. We all played a part in that moment. Whatever it was, I believe it certainly comprises of all of these things. And at last, the weight of it all grinds him into the ground and stops the entire procession. The sin that I committed last week contributed to him falling to the ground. The sin you committed last week contributed to him. As Jesus lies expended on the ground, the soldiers summoned Simon, a man of Ethiopia, to come from the crowd, and he carried the cross of Jesus the rest of the way. At Golgotha, the soldiers took the cross beam from Simon's shoulders and placed it at the foot of an upright timber, it was being placed in the ground. The pole is one of three on a hill. A mob forms a tight expectant circle around the site of the execution. Some suddenly fall silent as they realize that they are indeed going to witness a crucifixion, not one but three. And perhaps in the silence they, they begin to hear the wailing of the weeping women and Jesus is stripped of his garments and they are divided among the four soldiers. The more expensive robe is to be saved for later as they gamble for it at Galgotha. I've been there. I've seen the game boards that are carved into the stone, they're still there. I've seen those with my own eyes. Now three soldiers stretch Jesus out on the crossbeam, while the other picks up a long iron spike. The nail is a tapered shaft from five to seven inches long and an average of about three-eighths of an inch in diameter. The fourth soldier swings the mallet high. The, woman, the women turn away. The mallet falls And drives the nail through the flesh of Jesus and into the wood of the beam. And the nail is forced between the two bones, the ulna and the radius, just above the wrist joint. If they were placed only in the hands, the nails would rip through his flesh. It wouldn't hold his body. So it was placed just above his wrist. And the blood of Jesus once again begins to drip and fall to the earth. Seconds later, the other arm follows And then the feet are overlapped, and a single nail is forced into the feet of Christ. The soldiers hoist the beam up and drop it into place, and the nail in his feet is pounded into a vertical beam. And it is through this act of nailing the nails into his flesh, through his flesh, into the wood of the cross our sins are cancelled out when you ask God to forgive you they're blotted out and this is what it took for that to happen so if you're here today and you're convicted because of a load of sin that you're carrying. You may think it's major, you may not think it's a big deal. But if you're carrying guilt and your conscience is not right between you and God, I wanna preach to you today that Jesus took my long list of sins and he's also also taken yours. And when he was crucified that day, the Bible said they were nailed to the cross and they're blotted out when we ask him. So today, Sister Becky, the hand of God would like to be revealed again to somebody, would like to be made manifest to somebody else here today. To our students, to our moms and dads, whoever you are, wherever you've been, it doesn't matter. God wants to clear your conscience of anything and everything that you've ever done is considered trespass against God. That day the hand of God looked pretty weak to everybody but nobody really understood that day how powerful and mighty that hand was. It is the hand that formed Adam out of clay it is a hand that wrote the commandments on stone tablets for Moses and the children of Israel. It was that hand that waved towards the Tower of Babel and that whole plan was thwarted and men began to speak different languages. It was that hand that parted the Red Sea. It was that hand, this hand flew the locusts that plagued Egypt and, and the ravens that fed Elijah and these hands that stilled the sea. These hands mixed mud and spit and dabbed it on to the blinded eyes of a man that he could eventually see. And it was these hands of power that cleansed the temple that day. And it's these hands that beckoned Lazarus from the dead. And it is these hands that brought cleansing to the leper. And it's these hands that reattached Malchus' ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's a hands of inspiration that taught the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a hands of dedication that served the fish and the loaves, the, they are hands of power. They are hands of hope. They're crucified hands. But between these hands and the wood is a long list of things about all of us that He has canceled out. Between... The back of that hand and the wood of the cross is a list of sins, transgressions, iniquities, mistakes and a long list at that. A list that contains the lies and the lust and the greedy moments and the wasted prodigal years. Bad decisions from past years. Why would he do something like that? Because he knew that these sins could kill. He knew that. The price of this sin was death. So he went to a cross. He went to the cross for us. The same the same hand that stealed the seas steals our guilt. The same hand that The temple cleanses our heart. The hand is the hand of God working, convicting, pleading. He was known to Thomas, one of his disciples, because of the nail prints in his hand. At some point in the future, the Jews will know him again by the nail prints in his hand. At some point in the future, The Jews will come back to Him because they will realize that they're the ones that crucified Him. There's an old song we used to sing that says He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and surely He bore our sorrows And by His stripes, we are healed. If you'll stand with me today, I'm going to ask everybody in the building, maybe there's people here today that are perfect and you don't need to worry about a sin issue. I'm not one of those people. There's another old song that we used to sing that I'm going to ask you to think of the words of that song with me today. And this is what I want everybody to do. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. This was a prophecy speaking of his crucifixion that if I be lifted up on the cross... It will draw men to me. Our praise team sometimes sings a song that says, Your kindness, His kindness, brings us to repentance. And I'm looking at a congregation of people here right now. We've had our share of troubles and trials, but I will submit to you that across the board, God has been kind to all of us. That alone should make Him attractive to us. That we would like to talk to Him. That we would like to spend a moment with Him in His presence. In my devotion time at home, I sing this song often. And then I do it. I practice these words, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I don't know where all of us have been looking here lately to find relief, to find hope, to find answers, but I'm going to ask all of us today to plan in just a few moments to do our best to look Him the eye as he is hanging from that cross and hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Turn your eyes, the song says, on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Jesus went to the cross that day for a purpose, he went for a cause, it was a cause that he was believing in and he manifested his belief in that cause. David, the Old Testament asked Saul, is there not a cause? He asked his brothers, is there is there not a cause? Jesus had a cause, he went to the cross that day because He believed in something. He believed that something great would happen if he did that. The Bible said that he endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. He went through all of that. He did it. Not for himself. He was only a substitute. He was a replacement. He did it. He did it for us in our stead not sure how many people would want to go to heaven today if that's the path you had to choose to get there but he did that for us and there's something that wells up in me all the time all the time that I just never can express my gratitude to him enough I just can't say thank you the word thank you is cheap the word gratitude is cheap word appreciation is cheap just don't have words to say God I'm so thankful for what you did for me for us that day at Calvary so there's somebody here today figuratively speaking I'd like to take you by the hand and say hey if you need an answer if you need some hope if you need some fulfillment in your life I want to point you in a certain direction I'd like to take you Put my hands on each side of your face and just guide your hand around until you make eye contact with that man hanging on the cross and let his eyes tell you everything you need to hear about love, about mercy, about compassion, about grace, about forgiveness. Parents, you can tell your children this story. God loves your kids more than you do. Yes, He does. You can tell your grandchildren. I've had conversations with my two on this subject in times past. There's a long list of sins that are about us, but there's three rusting nails that took care of it. And you can come today Not condemned, convicted yes, but condemned no. Jesus said, for I sent not my son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So, as they begin to sing softly, I would like to invite everyone to come and spend a few moments in repentance and then to spend a few moments in thanksgiving. Do you have a few moments? That you can take right now to walk down here, just lift up your hands and say, "God, not everything I should be, and I'm sorry." And I thank you for what you've done. For me. As they sing in this beautiful, tremendous moment of communion with just God Himself, this is between us and God not about anybody else right now. It's about, it's about us. It's about us. It's about me as a person standing in the presence of God, standing at the foot of the cross, kneeling at the foot of the cross saying, God, I don't have the words. I don't know what to say, but I'm thankful. God, I'm thankful. And would you forgive me, God? Would you set me free again? Would you
1: forgive me of my sin?"
0: Let me be a
1: new To say I'm the speechless here today because I of have. what you've done for me.
0: Come on, everybody, talk to the Lord right now. Everybody, I'm talk lost to the Lord. In wonder,
1: oh God. Here I am undone. Oh how amazing! How oh, come amazing! Come on, everybody, let's reach heaven. Everybody, reach heaven.